This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su. And now we live in a society which unfortunately still highly emphasizes outward appearances. And it can be easy to feel dissatisfied with how our body looks. For adolescents, this pressure can feel immense as their bodies are also going through rapid physical changes during puberty. And on top of that, with rising peer pressure and also the influence of social media, are our teenagers growing up in an environment where they find it harder to love their bodies as they are. So on this episode of Mind Matters, joining me to discuss today's topic is consultant child psychiatrist Dr. Anita Kurati from Hospital Tunku Aziza. Dr. Anita, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me and good evening. Um, and a good evening to all our listeners as well. And for anyone who is listening who has a question, um, who would like to ask a question to Dr. Anita, who has experiences that they'd like to share, you can call us at double seven double three two nine hundred. You can also WhatsApp our U mobile number at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Or if you're online, you can also tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, Dr. Anita, before I get to the idea of negative body image, right? I want to look at what healthy body image is, you know. So when we talk about someone having a healthy body image, what does that mean in terms of the thoughts and feelings that a teenager would have about their body? So I guess uh, cultivating a healthy body image starts from young. And teenagers especially, uh, for them to have a healthy body image, it means that they accept and they appreciate their bodies. And not just so much for its physical appearance, but also for its abilities and their uniqueness, and they would most likely not focus on their flaws or their perceived flaws, because usually a lot of flaws are what we perceive it to be, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So in terms of their feelings, they would have self-compassion and they would have a good relationship with their body. So, you know, they appreciate uh, how they fit in in their family. You know, uh, there's no unhealthy comparisons in terms of physicality and looks. So this would sort of constitute what healthy body image is in a nutshell. Hmm. So then when it comes to negative body image, you have alluded to some of it in terms of the perception of flaws or the comparison, right? Could you elaborate a bit more in terms of how these thoughts might manifest among teenagers? So usually it starts um, sometimes from the family itself. Um, So if uh, like recently we've had, uh, you know, a lot of reunion dinners, uh, so uh, what happens is a uh, family from far, haven't seen them in a long time, they gather together and there's a lot of comparison before, well, small talk, mm-hmm. but small talk focusing a lot on physicality, how people look, uh, typically whether people has, uh, you know, have put on weight or lost weight and, um, you know, how that contributes to, I guess, uh, how good they look and especially so for teenagers um, they don't just look at how they fit in within their family but also within their peer society Mm. so a lot of uh, teenagers compare themselves to their peers and this can be problematic because as we know um, given our different uh, genetic makeup living in a multicultural society we are all going to have very very different body types and, you know, uh, body, uh, I guess, sizes mm. and um, hormonal changes as well because teenagers are going through a rapid goat spurt, you know, and uh, a lot of uh, changes in their body uh, shape takes place. 
And all these uh, things are also compounded by, I guess, uh, what they see on social media, which can be very much distorted. Like, for example, uh, I came across one Instagram uh, website, quite popular one, that shows you how to post so that you look a certain way, mm. uh, you know, like a flatter stomach, for example. And um, in reality, the stomach may not be all that flat. So this can actually give rise to um, a lot of, I guess, uh, ideas in a teenager that may not be accurate or realistic. If we could hone in a bit more in terms of the, I guess, the nitty gritty of it, right? What kind of insecurities, what what aspects of their bodies are usually teenagers most insecure about? What have you observed? So um, I have a lot of patients uh, with uh, eating issues. And uh, it's true, most of them are females. But I think there are equal number of males. Probably they don't step forward as much uh, due to probably stigma or just feeling embarrassed that they you know, care so much about how they look. And uh, for females, their particular concerns are, let's say, uh, their upper arm uh, circumference, uh, how, uh, you know, big their thighs are. There's this obsession about thigh gaps, which I think uh, can be quite detrimental to Mm. some teenagers uh, because uh, some people are not shaped that way and Uh, no matter how much of uh, weight you lose or certain exercises that you do, you're not going to attain that uh, unrealistic shape for that particular person. And uh, things like uh, their buttocks and their chest. So these are things that uh, a lot of teenagers are concerned about. And um, more so with social media exposure, I think people are concerned about how their face looks like, you know, in terms of uh, how round their cheeks are and how Mm. high their cheekbones are. So uh, these are some of the things that uh, sort of, I guess, uh, implant uh, into the uh, young minds and uh, it could affect how they choose to modify their lifestyle in a negative way. Mm. Now, teenagers are not a homogenous group, right? I mean, we tend to sort of, when we talk about body image issues, just group them into boys and girls, but... Uh, do you see some groups of teens being more vulnerable than others? Who are the ones that, you know, we should be paying more attention to? Right. So I, I believe that um, in the uh, clients that I see, um, the ones that tend to um, sort of have bigger challenges with body image would be those who are actually disconnected mm. in in a nutshell. So what do I mean by this? Let me expand. Um the sense of belonging in a teen is very, very strong. So, you know, they want to belong to their peer groups. And um, when they do not find their place uh, within their peer subgroups, you know, then they try to mold themselves to fit into what they think they can actually um, sort of gain connection with. So basically, it's a very deep yearning for connection, for a sense of belonging, to be seen, to be heard, and to be loved. And uh, the particular, like if you talk about what kinds of personality, of course, teenagers uh, don't have fully formed personalities yet. They're still developing. But um, teenagers who are more rigid, who I guess in a way, on a positive aspect, they can be those who are very extremely disciplined. Mm. Because um, to... I guess uh, sometimes uh, conform to 
certain restrictions of eating issues, you have to have that sense of drive and, and, and persistence. So, you know, we do see uh, a higher rate of, I guess, eating disorders in these groups. And also, if you look back in childhood history, those with sensory issues, especially, um, um, there are many types of sensory issues, but probably those uh, affecting oral sensory issues may be at a little bit of a higher risk to develop uh, some eating issues and, and body image issues later on in life. <clears throat> Especially um, if you have mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, um, that immediately puts you at higher risk for body image issues all around. Hmm. What about children who have some sort of physical disability? How how do their I guess their their drive for that sense of belonging might also affect their body image issues? Their, their how how their relationship with their body? Sorry. So yeah, I think uh, that's a very very um, um, unique group, but I think uh, those with disabilities um, they have a lot more um, sort of support from mm. very young. Uh, for from parents and, and you know families and, and even their teachers to help them feel safe and that they belong despite their disabilities and in fact the focus is a lot more on their abilities mm. so yes some of them may struggle with the similar issues just like any teenager I don't think any teenager is safe from sort of navigating the waters of uh, you know uh, body image and how they accept themselves but uh, I, I do see more support because they, they tend to receive such support from a very much more younger age and less critical comments uh, from those around them mm. because uh, I think people are more sensitive, you know, because they're already a vulnerable group. So the ones that are probably higher risk would be those who are more susceptible to critical comments and, and sensitive to those comments that they've received, you know. So, yeah. Hmm. All right, we'll go for a quick break, and when we come back, um, we uh have we have more questions um for you, Dr. Anita. We have a WhatsApp message that's come in about children wanting to try on makeup and how that might um impact their sense of um body uh their body image issues. On the show with me today is consultant child psychiatrist Dr. Anita Kodati from Hospital Tunku Aziza, talking to me about body image issues among teenagers and also children as well in today's very hyper-connected world um, on this episode of Mind Matters. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Health and Living, PFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su Anne. On the show with me today is consultant child psychiatrist, Dr. Anita Kodati from Hospital Tunku Aziza. She's joining us on this month's episode of Mind Matters to look at the mental health of teenagers and children and in particular to understand um, how they feel about their bodies, how, how they've developed that relationship um, with their bodies, to love their bodies as they are. Um, especially, I think, in today's world where we look on social media and people are perpetuating unrealistic body um, ideals to not just adults but teenagers and more and more younger kids as well. So if you have any questions you'd like to ask Dr. Anita you, or if you have experiences you'd like to share, you can call us at 77332900. You can also WhatsApp our U mobile number at 018-789-8899. Now Dr. Anita, on the point of younger children, we have a 
someone who WhatsApped in to say that um, I'm a parent to a five-year-old girl and she has sometimes expressed interest in trying out makeup. Um, you know, we sometimes go and do many patties together. But um, what's your take on this? Because you, um, well, this this mother says that I don't want to stop her curiosity, but I also don't want to um, encourage her to think that makeup is what's needed to feel beautiful, right? So how would you advise parents in such situations? So I think uh, that's an amazing question, but I can already sense there's a few things going on. Uh, this mom seems to be in tune to, um, you know, recognizing the uh, daughter's natural curiosity. And I think that should always be uh, sort of encouraged and uh, met with. And even if it's a boy and they wanted to play with makeup, mm. and uh, I think that that would be totally encouraged because it is, uh, it, you know, a lot of good things, sensory play, discovering your bodies, and also a lot of joint attention and spent uh, well, time well spent together. Um, I think where the concern may rise would be, um, like, I think there not so much in Malaysia, but I've, I've uh, uh, sort of come across, let's say, beauty pageants mm. uh, that are sort of targeted uh, where the participants are very young girls and uh, they are dressed in manner in a manner that uh, sort of makes them look precocious. And um, I think that may contribute to, let's say, um, more mental health uh, concerns later in life um, and maybe um, holding up, you know, making them hold up to unrealistic beauty standards as they grow older. But on the point of, you know, the uh, growing uh, problem of unrealistic beauty standards, um, I think, uh, you know, especially in the recent, I think, five to ten years, um, a lot of us um, have been uh, bombarded with, you know, like uh, super smooth uh, airbrush-looking skin mm -hmm. and things like that. And uh, I don't think uh, there's enough of media coverage on how skin looks, um, you know, based on different genetic profiles without all the uh, sort of airbrushing. I mean, I think there have been some changes, um, like certain brands have introduced people with vitiligo, where they have discoloration of the skin into their models and things like that. So I think things are improving uh, compared to, let's say, when I was growing up, but we still have a long way to go. Mm. It's. I mean, a lot of these conversations often centre around girls, um, young girls and teenage girls, because a lot of these unrealistic beauty ideals are targeted at them. But if I, if we could look at boys for a short um, bit, what kind of beauty ideals are they subjected to as well these days? Fantastic question. And I think um, we all are familiar with the gym buffs. Mm. And um, a lot of times uh, there are a lot of videos and, and, and you know, Instagram posts, um, again, uh, with very, very difficult, complicated sort of routines of exercises that can actually cause more injury to the amateurs mm. uh, because some of them are really uh, well-trained professionals performing these routines. And I think um, this is a kind of culture that I see among the boys. And also to like sort of be you know uh, aware about the diverse uh, groups of people that uh, we have, there are some boys who are also concerned about their skin. Mm. Um, they are also very um, concerned about um, skincare routines. And um, recently I came across an article that there have been concerns of people using uh, chemical-based uh, uh, sort of treatments for their skin at um, a very young age, like teenagers, you know. And 
it actually can cause more harm than good. And uh, they are mostly bought over the counter, so there's no regulation and, you know, it's not uh, properly monitored as it would be if it was prescribed by a doctor. Mm. Why is having negative body image um, thoughts and feelings harmful, right? Because, I mean, like you, like you and I both mentioned earlier, most of us have had some thoughts along those lines at some point in our lives. But why can this escalate or, or perhaps how can this escalate into something a bit more dangerous and concerning? Right. And I think the issue is not just, um, you know, those fleeting thoughts because um, all of us have gone through bad hair days and, and uh, probably the time of the month that we are not very happy with our skin. Mm. But I think when it becomes an obsession and it takes up a lot of your time and it starts to affect your emotion in a negative manner, um, I think that's when we, sh- we should start to show concern. The thing uh, is with teenage um, children, they have difficulties uh, sort of navigating the entire um, sort of uh, difficulty um, because they are not too sure when the thought becomes an obsession. Because uh, teenagers are very passionate people, you know. I, I love working with young people, and they just have such beautiful energy and passion. And sometimes um, these energies and passions can sort of be invested in these negative thoughts, and that can, you know, be detrimental to them. Hmm. Um, I want to talk a bit about, I guess, the the point you made about how depression could feed into body image issues, but I understand that it can also be the other way around, right? Yeah. And and right. and that could also then lead to uh, more harmful behaviors like eating disorders. Um, perhaps could you elaborate a bit more on that? Yeah. So um, when when things uh, get uh, more escalated, yes, it can develop into various kinds of eating disorders. Um, many people think eating disorders equals to anorexia nervosa, but we have uh, actually uh, on a rising trend around the world, binge eating disorder, um, especially during and after the COVID-19, I think uh, there have been increases in these sorts of eating disorder. And then you have bulimia nervosa, and there are less common ones, um, like for example, avoidant restrictive food intake disorders. Um, And some people are also obsessed with the idea of pure or clean eating. Mm. Um, And um, the problem with all of this is that, um, you know, you would end up having more problems than you start off with. Because I guess when they all start off uh, on this journey, um, they have a very good intention of being more healthy, generally speaking, uh, or uh, to look better. There there are some positive intentions initially, but it very quickly uh, escalates or de-escalates into uh, sort of a nightmare, especially for us health professionals, because there will be a lot of mineral losses, let's say Mm. electrolyte imbalances, hormonal imbalances, like um, a lot of young people that I work with, when um, you talk to them, and let's say, for example, anorexia nervosa, uh, one of the long-term consequences is um, a higher risk of infertility later in life because it affects um, the female hormone balance and um, because of the uh, very severe weight loss. And these young teenagers are not aware of these consequences. And by the time they become um, you know, uh, young adults and, and they want to start their families, they would have you know, developed this complication, which is years down the line. 
And um, a lot of them are not aware um, how it affects their heart. Because, you know, typically we think young people, they have healthy, strong hearts. But when you have these sudden weight losses or uh, even like we were talking about boys who go to the gym. Now, if they take things like um, extra protein and then they take a lot of supplements that may contain things that are not so good like steroids, it can weaken heart muscles and they can actually, um, you know, uh, develop like um, complications due to that. Um, so these are things that people are not aware of um, until, I guess, the consequences uh, take place. I have also seen a very severe case where, um, you know, because of the eating disorder or the uh, eating issue that the uh, young client um, had to have a pacemaker because the heart was not able to beat uh, regularly on its own. So it's a very, very... Um, difficult situation once the complication sets in so really strongly urge parents to keep tabs you know um, when it goes into a negative swing hmm. I'm curious Dr. Anita when teens um, especially teens right when they do develop these eating disorders is that something that they sort of actively think of doing or is that just how their behavior progresses as their negative body image um, issues sort of progress so I think um, there are a lot of like, I think, uh, reasons that, you know, sort of initially starts them off on this course. Um, so it could be from young. Um, let's say if we talk about um, eating disorders that involve weight loss, um, they might have been on the heavier side or the larger side. They may have been even bullied because of... Uh, um, you know, looking different or larger than uh, the peers of their age. And, uh, you know, because when you're bullied, you're uh, most often isolated and disconnected. And uh, being children and human in general, we all want to actually have that sense of connection. And in that sense, they might, um, you know, sort of uh, start their journey thinking that uh, they want to achieve uh, a more, I guess, acceptable physical image that uh, they would not stand out in a negative way among their peers. And uh, it very quickly can escalate for some of them uh, without, I guess, uh, proper monitoring and guidance from either families or, or even teachers. And um, I think another big problem that we uh, are not linking to eating issues and body image is um, stress from mm. school um, exams, because a lot of the teenagers that I see, um, they tend to be really, really academically um, sort of high strung, you know, and that can also cause eating disorders like binge eating disorder, for example, and, and the subsequent health consequences. Um, so I think there are a lot of reasons why these things can occur. Uh, sometimes, um, even uh, difficulties within the family, let's say parental mm. separation or uh, passing of some siblings, but that's less common. Um, usually parental separation or, or very um, sort of uh, strong uh, parent uh, dominance can cause the teenager to sort of retaliate if you um, sort of get the idea in terms of controlling or restricting what they eat. So there are a lot of factors, but um, I think it's different for each teenager, different in the context, what their goals are. 
but uh, the consequences that we see at the end of the spectrum would uh, really um, be avoidable if we detect it much earlier on. Mm, all right. Um, we have another question, or I guess comment, um, from a listener who messaged in via WhatsApp. Um, Sof says, I am, <clears throat> excuse me, I am recovering from disordered eating. I didn't necessarily have an eating disorder, but just not a good mindset when it came to food. And now I see a lot of my guy friends who are self-proclaimed gym bros. And I feel like their behavior around food and their body also feels very similar to how I think, you know, they restrict their diet so much, they bulk and then they cut and they work out all the time and they brush it off as just the quote-unquote workout gym life. Um, I'm worried, but I don't know how to speak to them, frankly. And I guess that I want to bring up that point of peer um, support, right? We talked about peer pressure, but what can peers do when they, when teens, you know, when they see their friends are doing something that they feel is unhealthy? Can How can they speak up? Yeah, I think um, this is tough because um, there are some teens who are extremely level-headed, you know, and they can see things for what they are. Um, but I think the most important thing is to be honest while not being judgmental. Um, so, you know, I think if, let's say, you have a friend who, uh, like our listener was saying, uh, going to the gym, working out, instead of giving them positive reinforcement or positive feedback about like, oh, you know, um, it's uh, amazing that you did a two-hour workout. Why not focus on um, you, you're looking strong and healthy and, um, you know, like focus on um, other aspects rather than the action or the sort of behavior surrounding uh, things that can go, I guess, overboard or negative. Um, talk about their abilities, um, maybe at um, the, the college or the workplace, um, how brilliant they are at their presentation, um, you know, um, things that don't necessarily relate or reinforce these uh, behaviors. Because, uh, again, humans, uh, we sort of thrive when people tell us like, oh, my God, you could do that two-hour run or workout and, and you always want to, like, do more or do better. Mm -hmm. And if we can actually stay away from such um, comments, especially when you know uh, this group or this this friend may be struggling with some, you know, disordered eating or unhealthy relationship with their body. And I think another uh, idea is to um, also practice self-compassion because... Um, in a way, uh, people who sort of do this, they have less self-compassion towards themselves. Some of them have issues with self-esteem as well. Um, and so they are trying to have this outer shell, you know, to sort of protect their, you know, more vulnerable self-esteem. So if they could uh, learn how to sort of uh, show themselves self-love in other ways, um, and practice that, you know, healthy bodies come in all sizes, let's celebrate diversity, things like that um, would be much more, um, I think, um, helpful than to, you know, necessarily tell the person too directly, like, don't go to the gym or, you know, you shouldn't be so um, restrictive with your food because people don't listen to that. Mm. 
All right. Um, we also have another WhatsApp um, question from Cheryl who wants to follow up on your point um, earlier, Dr. Anita, about sensory issues now. She says that my son has sensory issues that do, aff- do affect his food choices now. He's quite a fussy eater even at age nine. So if this might increase the risk of body image or even eating issues, what are some signs that I should look out for? Right. So um, this is a common question that I get because parents are worried that when there are fussy eaters, they are typically not uh, open to a wide range of uh, variety of food. Mm. Um, So as long as they are not extremely fussy, a lot of times um, these children need a lot of time and repetition and patience on um, like the parents' part to reintroduce the food in different manners. Like for example, um, there are some kids who do not like to eat chicken uh, in the, say, steamed form, but they, t- they would take it in the fried form. Or some children may not want to take chicken as, um, you know, a piece of meat. So uh, you might have to be creative and sort of mince the chicken up and put it into a nugget um, and things like that. So mm. I guess I would say the key idea is to show this child that eating is fun. And if uh, you look at, uh, I think I admire people from uh, Japan, and I think there are a lot of Malaysians who have caught on to this trend, the bento boxes mm-hmm. with those colorful food that almost looks like art. Um, so I'm not saying that all kids would you know, take on to that, but you would have to sort of get creative. And usually most of them with sensory issues, they would mature. So just to reassure this mom that uh, most of them would actually do well. But yes, they are at higher risk. And what you want to watch out for is, I suppose, if they start to sort of um, have the idea that if they eat certain things, it would affect their physical appearance in a certain way. And they are very rigid about it. Because I think uh, I mentioned earlier as well, uh, when someone is... Uh, more rigid with their thoughts and not so pliable and less adaptive, that's when things are a little bit more dicier. Hmm. But otherwise, we're good. All right. We'll go for another quick break and continue this discussion. Uh, We'll wrap up with a few more questions when we come back on the show with me today is consultant child psychiatrist Dr. Anita Kodati from Hospital Tunku Aziza on this episode of Mind Matters. We'll be right back after another quick break on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su. And you're listening to an episode of our Mind Matters series where we explore different issues related to mental health. And today we're zooming into the mental health of teenagers um, in particular and their relationships with their bodies. So joining me to weigh in on this show is consultant child psychiatrist Dr. Anita Kodati from Hospital Tunku Aziza. Um, you can still send us your questions. You can share your experiences by calling us at double seven double three two nine hundred. You can also WhatsApp our U mobile number at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Doctor Anita, when I was researching this topic, you know, I came across a news article about a recent study, I guess, that was published, you know, and it was quite alarming because it's uh, a systematic review which found that one in 10 adolescents have used a medically unapproved weight loss product, whether it's diuretics, laxatives and diet pills. Um, How much of a concern is it for you based on what you see in the clinic, what you observe in society in terms of teens going out of their way to use products like this to lose weight? You know, is, is this something that happens here in Malaysia? 
fortunately, uh, Suen. But uh, first of all, I would like to correct a misconception uh, amongst, uh, you know, like, I guess, uh, people in general. Uh, when you take laxatives, um, you do see the weighing scale uh, dramatically uh, dropping, you know, in terms of kilos. Mm. But what's actually happening is actually there's a lot of dehydration that's taking place. And uh, that is why water loss uh, is actually pretty significant to show uh, very, very encouraging weight loss on a scale. So in actuality, you're not really losing uh, mass. And most people take it because the uh, idea is to lose fat mass. Mm. And um, yes, we do see it amongst our teenagers uh, because it is available over the counter. And before our segment, um, I actually did a quick search on Shopee. And a lot of uh, kids uh, are, you know, able to buy these over mm. Shopee and um, there's cash on delivery options as well. So um, they can actually obtain this without their parents' consent or, you know, awareness. And of course, it is concerning um, uh, if, you know, they are taking it without the understanding of how it can affect their medical condition, actually, because it can cause a lot of electrolyte imbalances. Mm. Um, and um, it can also um, sort of uh, damage their bowels over the long term, you know. And um, they can also be at risk for a lot of uh, vitamin deficiencies because uh, you, you would uh, be losing a lot of the uh, minerals through this uh, laxative use. And another thing uh, that people don't uh, sort of realize is that because it, it's sort of like... Uh, they, they assume that when they drink or take laxatives and they're passing it out. So in their mind, it's like what they've eaten is not absorbed. Mm. Uh, again, laxatives work on the uh, intestines. So a lot of the absorption has already taken place. So if you're actually trying to use that to lose or reduce absorption of fat, um, actually the bad news is the fat has already been absorbed if it was present in the food, uh, you know, much earlier on in the upper intestines. And uh, other forms of drugs, um, actually there are some drugs that are abused um, for the purpose of weight loss mm -hmm. or for the purpose of controlling appetite. Um, these are probably harder to obtain because uh, a lot of it is prescription-based. Um, and uh, there are a lot of herbal supplements that are unsanctioned, um, and, um, you know, um, it's, it, that, I think that's harder to control. Of course, KKM uh, does uh, a lot of regulation, mm. but um, it is possible that uh, children obtain this um, and sort of use it without uh, being monitored. So it is a concern. And um, if parents pick up on it, then, um, yes, they would sort of alert uh, I guess the medical, um, you know, healthcare workers, and then the children would be, you know, much more safer or saved. Yeah. Hmm. We have another question here, um, Dr. Anita, on cosmetic surgery. So, if my teen brings up the idea of cosmetic or plastic surgery, is that an automatic red flag that they are very unhappy with how they look? Um. Well. I guess plastic surgery can be because they, um, again, have sort of ideas on their perception of what they believe are their flaws mm. and they want to improve it. Um, so normally when it comes to plastic surgery, 
um, for, I guess, uh, beauty enhancement or, you know, changing certain facial structures. Um, commonly in Asian countries, um, a lot of people look for a nose uh, sort of uh, surgeries, you know. Um, I think uh, you have to go through a very thorough psychological evaluation uh, to understand sort of um, the intention and the uh, psychological, I guess, reasons behind wanting those surgeries in the first place. So I wouldn't say it's an automatic red flag because there are some surgeries that are important. Like, for example, um, for some people, um, their nasal passage um, actually restricts the flow of their breathing when they're sleeping and they do need correction. So in those cases uh, where it's medically indicated, then I think that's less of a concern. But usually that will come from the recommendation of a doctor. Um, so I guess if your teen sort of just comes up with the idea, I would actually encourage a healthy, open discussion because um, a lot of times it's just that. It's just an idea. Mm. And um, I think a lot of parents go in quickly with solutions. But what we want um, is that if parents could just, uh, you know, relax, don't get too alarmed, uh, just hear them out. Because a lot of times uh, you would then get... Um, them telling you that they're anxious about how they look and whether people would accept them. And if you could validate and acknowledge those concerns, some of them uh, don't proceed further, you know, mm. down the line. Yeah. Mm. All right. Um, earlier, Dr. Anita, you mentioned that a lot of these, uh, well, the teens that are more susceptible to developing negative body image is, are those who are disconnected, those who are seeking a sense of belonging, right? They want to be seen, heard and loved. How do we address that then in order to help them develop a better relationship with their body? I think um, for me, because um, I have a couple of children myself, so I'm always thinking about, you know, how I could also um, translate this in my own home. And I think one of the most powerful tools is uh, uh, being a healthy role model yourself. So how you uh, love your body and how you sort of speak about your appearance, uh, especially if you're in a family with children around you, because these young ones are listening and uh, modeling good, healthy behavior and a good relationship to food yourself and also body is very important from the get-go. And the other thing that you could also do, I guess, if you know uh, some people are young adults, they are no longer with their families, is about encouraging um, sort of a diverse role uh, model idea, you know, like um, instead of looking at the person's physical appearance, uh, look at their, I guess, um, things that they've achieved uh, academically, uh, career-wise, uh, things that um, they have uh, sort of achieved uh, in terms of um, you know, maybe scaling a mountain or something that uh, brings about a more um, broader sense rather than a very narrow worldview of, uh, you know, how to attain happiness. Because uh, if we're just focused on the idea, because a lot of them, if you ask them, it boils down to, if I have the body that I imagine, you know, is the ideal body for me, I will be happy. Mm and they are not letting out or letting go of that idea. And so you need to um, interject um, very sort of uh, tactfully um, the other possibilities that are out there. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, 
Would you have a final takeaway message about this whole, I guess, today's topic about um, teens and their body image um, before we wrap up this conversation, Dr. Anita? I think uh, for me, um, if we could all just uh, sort of think about how we can help um, people whom we love or who are around us to feel connected in a sense of belonging, um, you know, that would actually reduce the risk not just um, you know having an unhealthy body image it would not only promote healthy body image on the other the other end of it but it would also improve uh, you know your general well-being your mental health um, and uh, i guess uh, deter people from pursuing uh, a course of action that uh, might you know be detrimental to themselves so uh, i believe that um, you know a lot of this comes from the culture that we grow up in and the families that we grow up in and if I could just um, sort of uh, sort of uh, leave a word of advice for parents um, always make your children feel like they've been seen they've been heard and that um, you love them unconditionally no matter uh, whatever perceived flaws that might be there so lay off or reduce critical judgments um, and teach them through your own self, you know, model the behavior that you wish to see in your own children. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. I've been speaking to consultant child psychiatrist, Dr. Anita Kodati from Hospital Tunku Aziza for this episode of Mind Matters. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Health and Living BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.